Men, we're under attack. On every side, evil forces encircle us, and they desire to tear down and destroy that which we stand upon. Just as in the day of Isaiah, we are witnessing justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. Truth is fallen in the streets. Where are the men of courage who are called to fight for the faith? Where are the mighty men who will raise a fist and declare enough? Where are the fearless few who race towards giants, who swing jawbones, who crumbled walled cities, who plagued evil rulers, who walked on water, and who carried crosses? We are calling all men who are ready to return to the resolute and rigid righteousness of our faith. Men who possess a power and who carry a courage to stand for God's word in a world bent on destroying it. Take up the mighty banner of belief, and like our Savior, may we have courage to be a mighty man. There are people counting on us. Amen? Your family is counting on you. Your friends are counting on you. Your spouse is counting on you. Your children are counting on you. The next generation and the generation after that are counting on you. The church is counting on you. Your fellow man is counting on you. And all that's great. And I think we know that's all true. And we've learned that. And we've learned that. And we've learned that. But this morning, I want you to consider that there's someone else counting on you. Do you recognize that Jesus is actually counting on you. If you've read the Gospels, and I think all of you guys have, you know that it's no secret that Jesus went through some ups and some downs in his ministry, right? He, he went from at times teaching multitudes to teaching a handful. There were points in his ministry where he had hundreds of disciples. And yet the more and the more that Jesus taught, and the closer and closer Jesus got to the teachings of God, the fewer and the fewer and the fewer people followed him. You might remember in John 6, there were several hundred dedicated disciples who walk away from Jesus. And Jesus, whether discouraged or whether just feeling the weight of loneliness as a man, Jesus asks the 12 disciples that remain, will you also go away? The closer Jesus got, the more he taught, the smaller the circle got. You might remember that Jesus... Uh, actually chose other than his own flesh and blood, his own family. Mary and, and his brothers are brought to Jesus, and Jesus says, they're not, my, they're not my brothers, they're not my mother. Those who do my will are my brothers and my mother. In Mark 3, we find Jesus choosing those who do the will of the Father over his own flesh and blood. And then it's no secret that Jesus poured his life, his very short life, 32 years is very short, Ross. 32 years. He poured his very short life into 12 men. Out of every person that lived on the planet, Jesus hand-selected 12 guys to spend his life with day in and day out. 12 men to invest in, to trust his life with, to trust his finances with, to trust his ministry with. 12 men. And of these 12 men, one of them doubted everything he had to say. Two of them were prideful and full of themselves. One of them stood against him at every turn, and even more so, one of them would go on to betray his trust and betray his life. This is the facts this morning. 
Whether it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus was with us or whether it's the year 2021, it is difficult and nearly impossible for Jesus to find a man who he can trust. It's nearly impossible for him to find a trustworthy man to depend upon. This is the challenge this morning. Jesus is looking for a man, for a trusted friend, to be the groom's guard this morning. Look with me at at 2 Corinthians 11.2. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I, Paul speaking, espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Isn't that a strange verse for a men's ministry? You guys aren't even flinching at it. Chances are, if you've been in church any time at all, you've heard the saying that we are, as the church, the bride of Christ, right? We've all heard that. And that's true. But a lot less known is what Paul's referencing here, and that is the relationship between Paul and the bride, and Paul and Jesus. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and he describes his relationship as the person who espouses the two. The person who brings together the bride and the groom. The person who is the intermediate between this couple. He's the special protector of the bride on behalf of the groom. The Apostle Paul recognized that Jesus had entrusted him with the most prized possession that Jesus had. The very thing that Jesus laid down his life and gave his life for, the bride of Christ, the church, he entrusted to Paul's care. But Paul wasn't the only one that actually references this in Scripture. Notice what John the Baptist says in John 3.29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, Jesus. But the friend of the bridegroom, John, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. John John the Baptist refers to himself as the bridegroom's friend. The person who is, who is waiting, who's standing to hear the bridegroom coming. And like Paul, like John, if you're going to be a friend of the groom, it's going to require some responsibility on your part. Being willing to befriend the groom means laboring and efforts and work. It means being present. It means required sacrifice. It means being in sync with the groom. It means knowing Jesus. The groom was his best and trusted friend. And though many other men around us are able to sit back with leisure, if you're willing to step up and be a friend to Jesus and be a friend to the groom, be someone he can trust, there's some expectation required on your part. You might remember the little verse in John 15, 15, where Jesus says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant know not what the Lord doeth. But what does he call us? He calls us his friends. Listen, guys, Jesus is looking for a man that will step up to the occasion. He's looking for someone to step up to the challenge. Someone who knows his voice and knows what he needs as the groom. Jesus is looking for a trusted companion that he can call and rely upon. Will you be that man? That's the challenge this morning. So, in order to really grasp this concept of the friend of the groom... In order to grasp what Paul and John are both writing about, we really need a little bit of insight into Jewish history and Jewish culture. In the days of the Bible, the trusted friend of the groom would be the first and foremost trusted to go get 
the bride. Upon the groom reaching the age where he would go get married, he would go to his closest and most greatly trusted friend and he would ask his friend to find him a bride. I don't know if any of you have best friends that you trust enough to find you a bride. I do not trust any of you guys. You see how I did on my own. Yeah, I did not trust any of you to find me a bride. And yet in Jewish culture, that's how it was done. You didn't go to quick dating, right? You didn't go to eHarmony. You didn't go to, no, you, you went to your best friend and said, listen, guys, I'm getting old. It's time for a wife. Go find me one. And with that, the friend, the trusted companion of the groom would set out to find a bride for his friend. He'd set out on this mission. And what the best friend of the groom would do, he would vet, he would interrogate, really, the bride choices to find the best fit for his friend. This friend of the groom wouldn't settle for just the first girl he came across. He would instead give an in-depth look at the girl's integrity, at her abilities, at her family tree, at her experiences, in order to find the best potential bride for his friend. And then, when the best man found a willing and worthy prospect, the friend of the groom would bring the soon-to-be bride to the soon-to-be groom to meet. You might remember in the Old Testament the story of Isaac and Rebekah. Do we remember that Eliezer, right? Abraham's servant, the trusted friend of the family, is sent to go find Isaac a bride. And what does he do? He goes and he starts asking questions. He goes and he starts telling about Isaac to Rebecca. He boasts up the groom, talks about the groom. And when he does, Rebecca is intrigued. She comes and she lights off her donkey and she's excited to see him. And what we read in, in John 3.29, John the Baptist is asked about Jesus' ministry, right? Jesus' ministry was at the same time as John. John was at first, uh, had a higher ranking ministry. And so John is asked about the rising ministry of Jesus. And John's response was that he, John's only responsibility to Jesus was to get the bride to the bridegroom. John admits, we just read it, he says, the bridegroom gets the bride. The bridegroom gets the bride. It's his big day. It's his big celebration. It's his, the groom's time to unite to his beloved, not mine, John says. John would go on in verse 30 to say, he must increase and I must decrease. Where are the men that will take up the task to get a bride for Christ? Men who take their responsibility with the utmost seriousness but who acknowledge that they themselves are not the groom. A lot of times in church, it's, it's a sad reality, but a lot of times in church, we as men are too quickly to sink our hooks into the bride and claim her for our own. The church is mine, my way or the highway. And yet John says the bridegroom, Jesus, gets the bride. She's his. The church is his. My job is to get her to him. And so as Christians, our first and foremost responsibility are the two first letters of the gospel. Go. If Jesus is the groom and he's chosen us as his friends, then our task as his entrusted friend is to bring him a bride. We're called to go into the highways and the hedges. We're commissioned to preach and share and teach and live the gospel to every tribe and nation and group and language and people on earth. We're called to go. We're called to go get him a bride. And this is exactly what John the Baptist did right before Jesus shows up. We know that Jesus is pre John is preaching repentance. Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John was preparing a bride for Jesus. And so, man, I want you to ask yourself, how devoted are you to finding Jesus a bride? How devoted are you to having a conduct in your life that points people to Jesus? Are you telling the onlooking world about this groom, about Jesus, the one who seeks and saves those who are lost, which is the bride? Are you passionately and joyfully have adoration for this groom as you introduce people to him? He's given you a commission. He's entrusted you as a friend to find him a bride. Are you devoted to that cause? Imagine how distraught uh, almost everyone but Lucas here has gone through the wedding stage. One of the best and worst days of my life. I don't know if you remember that feeling of your wedding day, but how distraught would a groom be? How devastated would a groom be if he shows up at his wedding He's entrusted his friend to find him a bride. He's expecting a grand, uniting celebration. And yet, because you did not bring him a bride, there's no wedding. There's no celebration. There's no uniting. Do we get that Jesus has to have a bride when he comes back? He has to have a church to come back to. That's what he left us here for. Are you going and getting him a bride? Are you sharing the good news of salvation? Are you sharing the gospel until he returns? Will Jesus show up with nothing to show for? And will he say to you, I gave you one job. I asked you one thing. I told you to prepare because I would be returning for my bride. I trusted you and you have let me down. Will Jesus the groom be disappointed? Will the wedding and grand uniting be marred with laziness because of our lack of commitment to the commission? And so that was only the first responsibility of the friend of the groom. The real responsibility begins after the two become engaged. And so you might remember in the Bible, there was this stage in Jewish culture before, or instead of engagements like we have here, they had a betrothal period. If you remember Mary and Joseph, they were betrothed to be married. And what that meant was they had a 12-month period where they would both set aside their lives for one another to wait to be married. They would prepare themselves to be united before the marriage moved forward. This meant, however, that the couple had to remain pure and they had to remain undefiled for this one-year period. They had to save themselves for the soon-to-be spouse. And if during this this betrothal period, if the bride had been taken in sexual relations or if there were rape or abuse or anything, the betrothal was broken. The bride would be of no use to the groom, and the divorce would take place before the wedding even started. And for this reason, this 12-month period was so vital and so important to their marriage and to their relationship that the groom would go to his best friend and he would trust his best man to guard his bride. The friend of the groom ensures the bride is kept safe from all harm. The best man, the entrusted friend of Jesus, makes sure that she's not taken advantage of. She's not defiled during this period. It was then the responsibility of the best man to speak of the bride's integrity during these 12 months. I have been with her, I have guarded her, and I know she has lived up to your expectations as the groom. And because the best man has guarded the bride all this time, he can attest that she has been true to him. She has refrained herself for him. Listen, man, this is the unfortunate truth, and I think all of us know this. 
the church is filled and stuffed to the gills with men who are in it for themselves. Men who are looking to have their needs met in the church house. Men who are in it for what they can get out of it. There are men among us in the body of Christ who are seeking to take advantage of the bride. They're seeking to harm and bring reproach and dishonor on what belongs to the groom. There are those who desire to uh, confuse and contort the bride of Christ. Those who want to lead the bride of Christ astray. Those who even want to adulterate with Jesus' bride. And as we look around at the church, in 2021, she looks rather vulnerable. Amen? She seems to be a sitting duck in this world with no one to stand by her side, no one to defend her honor. And this is the thing. Her bridegroom has yet returned. He's not here. He is away. And so he has entrusted his friend to guard her. Knowing all that she would endure, knowing everything she would have stand against her, all that may cause her harm, Jesus looks to those he trusts. He looks to his nearest friends and he says, will you keep her for me until I return? Jacob already touched on this with guarding the church. Do you realize that's the call of all godly men? To guard the bride of Jesus. Not just carrying a gun, as great as that is if the calls were to arise. Guarding her from anything that could harm her. Anything that could take her from Jesus. He says, will you keep her until I return? Will you rise to the occasion? Will you stand by her side? Stand at her defense? Will you guard her with your life? As my friend, Jesus says, as the one I trust, will you recognize your responsibility that I'm asking of you? Men, church is not a hobby on Sundays. Church is not a religious country club. It's not a meeting of like-minded people. It's not even a place to feel good. Church is a living, breathing person. Church is the bride of Christ. She's real. And she has a really big red target on her back. Will we guard her? Will we stand by her side? Will we take up the responsibility as the friend of Jesus? Will we ensure that she remains pure and undefiled? Is there a man that the groom can trust? Is there a man who can... Uh, won't claim her as her own, but who will vouch for her integrity as the bride? Who is, is there a man who's selfless enough to give himself on her behalf? Who will lay aside his interests, his desires, his agenda, his opinions, his plans in order to protect the bride of Christ? Men, ask yourself, how devoted are you to Jesus' bride? How devoted are you to the church? What does it take to draw your attention away? To make you miss a service? to make you lack in labor on her behalf? How often do you defend her honor? Do you stand by her side when it's difficult? When the world mocks her, do you have her back? When accusations and slurs are, are thrown in her direction, are you at her defense? Are you doing everything in your might and everything in your power to protect her, to provide for her, to prepare her for the return of her groom? And after the friend of Jesus gets the bride, after he guards the bride, the next task that this best man would have would be to gird the bride, which is a rather awkward word, but it was the only G word that I could come up with that fits. And it actually does mean, if you look up the definition, the entrusted friend 
was the one who completely planned and ran the entire wedding. How many of you are glad you do not live in old day Jewish culture? I cannot see any of you throwing a wedding. How many of you had your wives plan your wedding and do every detail for you? <laughs> yes, I am aware. In Jewish culture, it was the best man's responsibility. He was in charge of every detail. He sent the invitations, he did the seating arrangements, he reserved the venue, he had the food prepared, he did the decorations, he did every detail to the letter. The best man ensured that the bride was properly prepared for the big day, ready for her soon-to-be husband and their big occasion. The best man would even be the go-between between the bride and the groom, passing gifts and making sure that there was still an expectation there, ensuring that they knew one another by the time the big day arrived. And so if the bride and the groom showed up and the wedding was a total catastrophe, it was the fault of the groom's best friend. If the happy couple were unprepared for their happy reuniting, it was the best man's problem. If the couple barely knew each other upon their wedding day and they were near strangers, it was the failing of the friend of the groom. Because during this betrothal period, this 12 months leading up to the marriage, it was his responsibility to plan and prepare and get ready for the coming groom. We already mentioned the, the Great Commission earlier when we're to go get the bride, but do you realize that Jesus doesn't say just to go into the world, but he says to make disciples, to baptize, to teach. We're to prepare the church. We're to prepare the bride for him. Make sure that she has what she needs for when he gets here. Ensure that she's learned her role for when he returns, her role in this relationship. Help her learn about the groom and learn about their soon-to-be marriage. Labor and plan and prepare for their uniting. Ask yourself, man, are you getting the church ready? Listen, it's not the pastor's job, it's not the deacon's job. Are you personally getting the church, Jesus' bride, ready for his return? I think most of us know that we're to be witnessing, whether we're doing it or not. I think we know we're to be witnessing, we're to be getting a bride for Christ. We know there's something naturally in us, Jacob's already told us, there's something naturally in us that wants to guard the church. But are we girding the church? Are we preparing her for his return? Ask yourself, are you giving your life? Are you investing yourself on behalf of Christ's bride? Are you mentoring people? Are you teaching people? Are you building up one another for his sake? Are you taking every single church service as an opportunity? Every single evening at home with your family as an opportunity? Every single day at work as an opportunity? Every single moment of your life to make Jesus known? Are you making sure the church is provided for? Making sure she's well equipped? Making sure she knows Jesus when she returns? How awful would it be if Jesus comes back to get his bride? And we just sat still because we didn't know who he was. Who's that guy with the, with the trumpets and the bright lights? What is he doing? Well, that means the best man. That means us who are in the church already have failed in telling them who he is. I'm afraid it only gets more awkward from here because the last responsibility of the friend of the groom was to give the bride. The friend of the bridegroom had one last and the most important responsibility, and that was to protect the bridal chamber. 
After the wedding, the friend of the bridegroom would open the door to the bridal chamber for the bride to enter herself, and then the groom, or the best man to the groom, would stand outside the door and keep all false lovers from entering. And when it became night, he would wait outside that door and he would listen for the bridegroom's voice. And then when he heard the bridegroom's voice, he would recognize it, recognize that it was his friend returning, and he would then offer the bride to the groom. And then the best man would leave rejoicing because he had completed his responsibilities. He had accomplished what his best friend had asked him to do, and he would go back to the wedding celebration. Look again at John 3.29. We already read this. Look at what John the Baptist says about being a trusted friend to Jesus. He says this, The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly. Because of the bridegroom's voice, therefore the joy of mine is fulfilled. The entrusted friend of the groom is standing at the door of the bridal chamber. He has labored in getting, he's labored in guarding, he's labored in girding, and now he's finally ready to give this bride to the groom, safe and untouched and unharmed. And when John the Baptist heard the voice of Jesus step onto the scene, he rejoiced. He had great joy because he had fulfilled what Jesus had asked of him. He was ready to hand over the bride to the care of Jesus. He'd successfully completed his mission. But do you realize that before we can ever give the bride to Christ, the best man, the entrusted friend of the groom, has to be listening and has to know his voice. You have to be in tune with the groom. You have to be in sync and alert, listening to what he has to say. Men, do you know his voice? Our wives and our children and our church, the bride of Christ, have absolutely no hope in this world unless we know the voice of Jesus, unless our ear is attentive to what he has to say. Ask yourself this, gentlemen. How's your time in the Word? We've already talked about this this morning. I'm not talking about a, a, a chapter a day keeps the devil away. I'm talking about a saturation of your life in the Word of God, a knowing His voice so intimately that you could hand over your responsibilities by knowing what He has to say. Are you allowing your mind to meditate on His Word day and night? Are you constantly seeking His leadership and His voice? When there's a Sunday school class, when there's a Bible study, when there's a men's group, are you urgently seeking to hear his voice. Because if you do not know his voice, if you're not listening for his word, then you have failed as the trusted friend of the groom. Look again at what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We read verse 2. This is starting at verse 3. Paul writing, But I fear, lest by any means, as the servant beguiled Eve through his salty, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if, he hath, for, if, for if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if we receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might be well bear with him. Christians are being deceived from the simplicity of Christ. The bride, the church, is being drawn away by another man that is not the groom, by preachers and teachers and churches and beliefs that are not of Jesus. Where are the trusted men? Where are the friends of Christ who will stand and say, no, 
That is not the groom's voice. That is not what his word says. That is an imposter. That is a fraud. That is not Christianity. Christian, church, bride, don't fall for it. It's a trap. Do you know his voice? Listen, there are plenty of false teachings around us, plenty of false beliefs around us. Get on social media for a half-hot second, and you will see that our church people here at St. Hilfrill Baptist Church are falling for other than Christ. Sharing heresy, sharing things that are ridiculous. Are you guarding against it? Are you giving the true Jesus to them? Are you pointing the way? It's not enough for the pastor to know what's true and what's not. It's not enough for the Sunday school teacher to know what's false from fact. You need to know his voice. You need to love his voice. You need to be devoted to his voice so that you can give the bride and go on rejoicing when the groom arrives. Jesus has too often been betrayed by those closest to him. He has entrusted you men to stand guard for his bride while he's away. He's entrusted you with the highest priority, his most prized possession. Are you willing to be the groom's guard? When he comes back, when you hear his voice, will you be able to rejoice because you have accomplished what he has given you to do? Do you care about his bride? Challenge today is this. Will you answer the call to be the groom's guard? Thanks so much for joining us for another session of the Sand Hill Men's Ministry. We hope that your soul has been stirred and your faith has been fortified in what God has called each of us to be as a mighty man. Men who are up for the challenge are invited to take part live, online, or in person in our monthly meetings of the Sand Hill Men's Ministry. You can also, of course, catch the video of each session or the podcast as a follow-up. For more information about the Sandhill Men's Ministry, to attend our next meeting, or for additional Christian content, please visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com. Thanks so much for joining us today as we continue on in Christ.